welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. At last year's Unsound Festival in Krakow, the final item of the conference program was a live RA exchange with Olaf Dreyer, the artist best known for his work with Karen Dreyer as The Knife and his techno records as Oni Ayun. Celebrated as his music may be, Dreyer himself is fairly mysterious. But for someone so modest and soft-spoken, he is a man of remarkably strong principles, especially when it comes to matters of gender and privilege. These topics not only informed the lyrics of The Knife, but also guided Dreyer's own path as an artist and an individual, which partly explains why he's kept such a low profile over the years. Speaking with RA's Will Lynch in a full auditorium, Dreyer allowed us a glimpse of his fascinating worldview. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The exchange with Olaf Dreyer is up next. from Resident Advisor, and I'm sitting here with Olaf Dreyer. I guess to start, join me in welcoming Olaf. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming. So, it's been about five years or so since the last album from The Knife and the tours that followed. And for most of us, you've been kind of out of view since then. Can you tell us what you're working on right now? Yes. Uh, so yeah, I've been basically uh, producing other artists. Um, I've been doing that more and more over the last uh, years. I don't know how many. And uh, I really enjoy that. Like it's more fun to not be alone in the studio. And uh, there is a lot of amazing artists who uh, who need, uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm needed somewhere. <laughs> and and uh, I've had the pleasure to get to know one artist from Tunisia called Huayda Hedfi. She's uh, making like beautiful instrumental music, uh, really melodic and uh, I think music that will work really well in films. And we've been working together since, uh, I think, many years, like six, seven years. And uh, I'm producing her album and I'm also playing in her band. And uh, we've been doing a short tour in Sweden and the US. And uh, it's like traditional Tunisian music with a lot of um, uh, electronic sounds also. And uh, uh, I learned so much, like I learned so much like different rhythms and different ways to write melodies and yeah, it's cool. And then I work with uh, a Swedish artist called Jala. Uh, she's a pop pop singer, uh, but really like really out there and fun and creative. And I'm working on her uh, or producing her album. She's a great singer and uh, yeah, she's really fun to work with. And then I'm also working with another Swedish artist called Bahare. She's making, um, she or she asked me to help her do per, a modern take on Persian disco, and that's like a challenge. But it's it, I'm trying to fulfill her wishes, and uh, it's really fun. And 
But so those are the, like the main three projects I work with, I think, uh, and then I do some other things. But my main actually thing that I'm doing is I'm going to school. Uh, I'm I'm like studying full time to become like a youth. Uh, so yeah, we just talked about this. I just looked up the accurate word. It's, it's like youth recreation leader, but it sounds so formal. Basically, it's to work in a youth club with uh, teenagers like uh, to 20, up to 20. And uh, it's basically where they hang out after school. And so that's my plan to work there and also in the studio. Yeah. I want to get back to the studio in a second, but yeah. first, um, can you tell us a bit about the being youth recreation leader? Or, um, what kind of work do you do with these kids and how did you get into that? Or um, what do you find rewarding about that kind of work? Uh, I've been working uh, with different projects around making the life for migrants in Berlin because I've been living in Berlin uh, most of the time. Uh, yeah, to make the life for, for newly arrived migrants in Berlin uh, to create like a, a fun or meaningful or somehow like a life with uh, music in 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 my case like i've been uh, i i started this music school for uh, undocumented migrants uh, in berlin together with um, uh, a guy called kuku who ran the uh, uranienplatz movement in uh, berlin uh, that was around 2013 or 14 or something and um, we had like an open rehearsal activity where people from that camp could go rehearse a couple of times a week and we provided lessons in the instruments they wanted to learn with the goal of creating a band that would communicate their uh, demands basically that's still running it's like uh, they go one once or twice a week and it's usually a group of five to ten people coming back and then there is usually five to ten or usually around five people new new people every time so it's like a it's a quite on like a open type of activity but so i've been working with that and and in different like anti-racist groups and and stuff in berlin and with that experience i've been feeling like uh, i want to work in a institution so like something that has a bit more uh, structure and something that is possible to work with for for a longer time usually in in this uh, work with uh, well i guess all activist uh, project uh, there is always a risk to get burnt out and uh, so i just wanted to have something with a bit more long longevity and therefore, like I, I felt like uh, I, I take this education to work with uh, youth because it's a, like a group I care for, and yeah, something like that. Yeah. Looking back at um, the history of the knife, it seems, as a listener anyway, there was kind of a slow metamorphosis where, by the end, it felt fairly overtly political, um, whereas early on it was in a more kind of oblique or suggestive way. First of all, is, is that accurate? Or is that the way it felt to you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, sure. It's, it's true. It's much more apparent because although like I was playing uh, all kinds of music that was not pop music before we started and then I was so fed up. Uh, for example, I was playing free jazz and I was so disgusted by the male dominance uh, in that scene. Uh, and so I felt like, okay, I, I got to leave this and start making pop music. And as, as if that would be better, but at the time it felt like it would be better. I think because I wasn't so active in any proper activist work, I think all the uh, political content had to be pushed into the lyrics of the knife. Like, uh, although I didn't write the lyrics, my sister did, but like, I think, um, so the, already then it was an idea to have this pop band with political lyrics in order to like reach the masses. Yeah. But uh, we were still misunderstood. We were, 
I mean, uh, there was a lot of people who, whose ideas I would really not go, uh, that I don't like, uh, that liked our music and used our music. In, so that's why we had to become more clear, I think, and more, yeah. Um, what's an example of that, or what do you mean the people would use your uh, music? Oh, there is horrible examples, like there is a neo-Nazi group in Sweden who used uh, one of our songs as a, in a, in a, like advertisement for their, for their work. And I mean, it was up on the internet for, for a couple of days and then I saw on their own forum that there was some member of that party writing, oh, how can you use that? Uh, song, they're they're gay, they're socialist. You got to put it down immediately. <laughs> and so uh, they actually, and and then we we filed. Um, somebody managed to contact YouTube, like <laughs> to read YouTube and and get it down. But I mean, so I, that felt horrible. Like, how can we be so misunderstood? And uh, then we just yeah thought we have to be more clear. Um, as you were kind of channeling your politics into the knife. Were you generally mixing uh, your own political views with your art in that way? Did you find the music to be a satisfying sort of channel for those ideas? Or, um, you know, did it feel like it was working in a way you were satisfied with? No, like I've never been satisfied. <laughs> like I, I always, I've always had this uh, feeling that it's not meaningful enough. So uh, I, uh, I think that's also why I'm going towards... Um, yeah, I've, I've had that feeling uh, like for, for, for as long as I've been working with the music that it's fun, and, but it's not like meaningful enough. So that's why I think I, I want to have a bit of both, like uh, live in, in both the, the more social work life and uh, music life and just have the music because it's fun. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of a perennial question or a timeless question of how music and politics can mix. Um, and it's interesting to me that you've arrived at a place where they're quite separate. Um, you're here at Unsound as a DJ. And I read in an interview, you said um, something that you liked about DJing was uh, it's fairly well paid and you could dedicate that to your project with refugees. Would you say you've arrived at a place where you feel that that's kind of the most optimal way for you to mix your political views with your art is simply for one to fund the other instead of ha mixing them as you did with the knife? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's also really fun to DJ. I mean, it's, it's a great... <laughs> it's not just for... I mean, I, I can be creative with that and, like... Uh, I started making like uh, my own edits of songs and making it more personal. I'm, I'm also having a lot of fun with it. So it's not only uh, that I'm like sacrificing my time and uh, giving the, the money to an organization, but so I, it's, it's, it's the best, best combination of, of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. The creative work you've done in the past has always had um, a certain element of depth to it, to take the knife again, not just the political element, but the aesthetic dimension was very elaborate. Um, there was a strong visual side and um, you know, these really unconventional performances. Um, I guess on the creative side, like, do you miss that at, at the moment just um, as a DJ or would you hope to do that kind of work again? Oh, you mean the, the whole uh, presentation of yeah. things? And, sure. Yeah. By the way, do we speak in a good tempo? I just thought I drank a lot of coffee and I feel like I'm talking quite fast. Is it faster, slower? Okay, it's good. Faster. Yes, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, so the presentation of things, like... Um, no, I don't miss it. Like, I, I, we, we, we've done that. And uh, it's been so much fun and I learned a lot, but I, I, I keep on... I, I want to learn new things, and no, I, I don't miss that. No, no. I, I, I just think, do I miss it? Do I miss it? No, I don't miss it. <laughs> no, no. You've often had this kind of uh, supporting role as an artist. As you said, you, you like producing other people's records, and if I'm not mistaken, your only solo work was Oni Ahun, is that right? 
so just a handful of techno records. Mm. Um, why do you think that is? Or, um, you know, for someone with kind of so much to offer creatively, what is it about that role that you prefer to, you know, being in the spotlight, being the front man? So, um, there's uh, plenty of reasons, <laughs> but uh, I think it's a combination of uh, a structural political one and a uh, just a selfish one. I think, and the structural political one would be uh, that I would say that my strategy, my political strategy in relationship to my privileges as a as a white man, I, I use withdrawal as a strategy. I don't think. Uh, at the moment that it makes sense for me to take much more space than I have. Um, and the selfish one would be uh, that I just uh, like collaborating. And I, I think it's, I don't want to be alone in the studio. It's, it's, uh, I learn a lot from the collaborations. I also like problem solving. <laughs> so when I get uh, an artist who uh, wants something to uh, wants them, their music to sound like uh, something they have this idea and it's a fun challenge to do that like to it's it's a clear task <laughs> I think my the way I look at how to deal with privileges uh, is usually that you can use them uh, in a way where you just uh, collaborate with people and use your privileged position to to uh, find the means to to realize a project and and uh, then uh, just use that and and uh, uh, spread the resources basically with with others and is that what you're doing now with, with the projects you're currently working on would you say uh, I mean Yes, for sure, although I think the way it has started has just been very natural and dynamic like. It started like uh, any collaboration. We, we, we enjoyed working together. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally using all the resources I have, all my contacts and my time, and uh, yeah, to, to just pull out all the, all the possible uh, things you can pull out of <laughs> my, my uh, network. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about um, the band... I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce the name of the Hiya Wal Alam. It's Hiya Wal Alam. That's the band name, and the composer's name is Huayda uh, Hedfi. Uh, yeah. Basically, um, when you were just explaining the structural, uh, political aspect of mm. these collaborations, I mean, the band was has been written up in The Guardian and things like that. Mm. And you're the kind of the headline um, mm. or you're sort of the reason they get that spotlight. Yeah. Is that something you consciously think about? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, uh, ideally, I'd, I, I would like my name to not be there, uh, but I mean, uh, this is how uh, people start writing about her and I think because she does, she makes so amazing music, I think people will forget about me being there and, and just hook some on the music. I have seen that happening, so I think it, I think it works. Yeah. Um, those two sides you mentioned, this sort of selfish creative side and the politically minded side, are they ever in conflict? Or do you ever sort of have an idea um, for, I don't know, a solo record or something, but you don't feel comfortable doing it? Or is that political side kind of just an innate quality that... I mean, that's difficult to say. I mean, because I've been in this... I mean, maybe I should just go back a few... And like, now it sounds so... Maybe I, I sign, maybe I sound very like self-assured and clear about what I'm doing now, but of course there has been a process behind that. Like uh, 10 years ago I was in gender studies and studied like, uh, uh, yeah, post-colonial theory and uh, gender, everything like that. <laughs> and uh, during those years I, I was of course, like I was going through uh, like, uh, you know, process of uh, shame for like men's violence towards women and everybody and uh, colonial history and all of that. But a, shame, a position of shame is not constructive. I mean, it's, it's like it's, it's not leading anywhere. It's not doing any good. So I, I think the last 10 years has been about finding a, 
uh, a constructive uh, approach to using those, uh, the acknowledgement of those privileges and just um, uh, stand for, acknowledge and stand for your privileges and not just feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> and We're not just feeling guilty, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, guilt, white guilt is like, it's not doing any good. Like, it has to be channeled into something constructive and, uh, yeah. So, that's uh, maybe good to mention that that's like behind the strategies I'm having at the moment. Your question, uh, yeah, your question, if, it, if there's a conflict between the, um, the selfish and the political... So I think uh, uh, no, and it's difficult to n know <laughs> because uh, I think I'm so. Uh, I, 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 it's, possible, it's possible to think that that uh, I'm so programmed by many years of thinking around these things that that there, uh, a conflict don't arise. Like, uh, but I don't have a conflict at the moment. Uh, like. I go to school nine to four every day, and I go by the studio uh, uh, every, like every other day, maybe. And if I don't have time to work on the project, I, I play the flute for thirty minutes, and it's it's good, it's great. <laughs> it's like I get the uh, the stim the stim what is it, like the stimuli or the stim sti stimulation stimulation from music. Like uh, it's it's. Uh, it's amazing, and uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I, at the moment, I, I could imagine just um, doing this and just playing the piano or playing the flute at home as a hobby. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. I will. Pr it'll probably change. You mentioned that you know the point you're at now is sort of an advanced stage in this personal journey or whatever. Mm. Um, I mean, the first album from The Knife came out in 2001 or something? Or, so basically you've been, you've been a musician for, for nearly 20 years, I guess you could say. And yeah, that sounds a lot. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, Let's like, say 18. <laughs> okay, 18 years. I guess I'm curious, when you said you went through this period of feeling a lot of shame, are these just ideas that you were aware of and kind of thinking about in general over that period of time? or? Was there a reason that these topics became urgent to you? Or, you know, why do you think uh, more than the average man, I would say, why do you think all of, all of those realities weighed on you in the way that they did? I, I think I, I, I just grew up in that context. Like, uh, in, in high school, as a teenager, I, uh, I, I have two sisters, and I grew up reading the texts they read, like, uh, feminist texts at that time. So, I mean, I... And I, that's been just my, my group of friends. I, I think uh, I'm just a product of my, my, my uh, context, like, sure. in that sense, yeah. Uh, I was also curious... You mentioned, or yeah, you mentioned a few times that you're studying full time now, and uh, with the end goal of kind of uh, doing the best you can at, in this role as as the creation um, leader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. leader. Um, you went through a similar process before, which you touched on, but um, it, it was a ways into the existence of the knife and your career as a musician that you took this course in gender theory and post-colonial post mm. um, theory, I guess. Mm. Um, I guess. Could you explain kind of the, what led to that decision or what made you think, I, I, need, to, I need to take this class, I need, I need to become well-versed in this subject? I guess another point that I would throw out there is that, if I'm not mistaken, when you took the, the gender studies course, the knife already had a reputation of exploring gender ideas in, yeah, yeah. in its music. Mm. So you're kind of already a respected commentator, might not be the right word, but mm. you were already kind of exploring these topics publicly for others, and then mm. you decided to sort of uh, study them yourself. Mm. Was that just a feeling of, you felt you needed to really know what you were talking about, if this was mm. going to be part of your art? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it was less in relationship to the knife. I think uh, I was, I mean, uh, I was just interested, basically. Um, and, I mean, at the time, 
I yeah, we were playing with gender and how to re represent gender on stage, and uh, and I was starting with my solo project at the time, and I think I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to learn more and also much more about uh, the, the whole um, term intersectionality when when you look at all categories of power, how they intersect, and 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 like just learn about. Uh, just go deeper in, in, in into the, all of this, basically. I, I don't see, see any other. It's basically just straight up personal enrichment. You yeah. just want to know this for yourself. Yeah, and I, I guess I was like, I, I, as, as I'm thinking now also, like if I'm going to work with this, I need to know what I'm do doing. I think it's something like that. I, yeah. Um, how does that kind of self-education change your behavior or for instance how did that course did that change the way you know um that changed the art that you made or did it change your day-to-day -day mm. judgment or yeah i think so uh, like i mean uh, up until 2008 or seven or so uh for example when we toured with a knife we had all male crew but after that we we hired all female crew and so we, we, we completely uh, applied our theories in, into practice much more and like started to think much. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think, yeah, we didn't even think about representation in our technical crew, for example, or in the people we hire. We had worked with a lot of men like up until then. Uh, so I think uh, up until yeah, around that time, around 2006, or it doesn't matter. But up until then, we, we had uh, been writing about uh, gender, feminism, uh, like international or uh, solidarity. I mean, it was very vague, and, and uh, but we've been writing and talking about that in our music, but it hadn't been applied into the in, into practice, like... Uh, thinking about who you hire, how you hire, working conditions, um, all these things. So it was much more like, yeah, applied basically. Even setting aside the political aspect, a constant, I guess, in your career and with the knife as well, was it seems like in almost any opportunity you would break from the norm and do something that suited your needs uniquely. Um, you know, all-female um, crew on the tour being one example, also just the nature of that tour. Um, it's obviously not a conventional performance. Even going back to doing interviews with wearing a bird mask and having your voice scrambled, it seems like at any opportunity you would kind of do something slightly unconventional, sort of unusual. Why do you think, what set you on that trajectory or, or how did you create that habit of always doing things slightly differently and, and also why is kind of the established way of handling those situations so uninteresting to you? I mean, first of all, we, we did that because we could. Uh, like, we, we, uh, we were in a position where we have been and we are in a position where we can. We can play with these things. Uh, I think uh, when it comes to, for example, the, 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 the masks, um, I, I didn't like so much the the, uh, the focus on the private person instead of the music at the time. And um, we were also working with uh, characters in our music, different like characters who we imagined uh, sang our songs, like the, uh, and the lyrics were based out of these characters. And then we thought, okay, it doesn't make sense that we are there as private persons representing these characters it should be one of these characters and maybe that character could have this mask i mean that was, so that's also like the creative uh, background to that and then uh, we also kind of acknowledge that it's a way to commodify music to represent it with your person uh, and we wanted to kind of play with that and so yeah a lot of i mean so there is always like um political idea behind these things, yeah. yeah. I guess to talk about the performances themselves, it was something like uh, the Shaking the Habitual tour. Can you sort of 
as much as you're comfortable doing or interested in doing, like walk us through kind of the concept of what's going on there. Um, you know, a stage filled with people uh, dancing around. It's not clear if anyone's playing the instruments. It's not clear who the band are. Um, how would you sort of explain that idea? Uh, again, I have to think a bit. It was a while ago, and um, I haven't been into this mindset at all the uh, last couple of years, but th there is so many aspects I, you, yeah, you could talk about, but I, I, I guess I talk about now what I find still interesting. <laughs> and um, it was a really collective process. Like we had, we were uh, 11 dancers, uh, 11 people on stage, including me and Karen. And um, the others were uh, Shannon Funches, Light Asylum, and then uh, the rest were, were professional dancers. And then we had two artistic directors. And all of us together made this, made this show together. We gathered and everyone brought their favorite YouTube clip of different dances they liked. And then we um, learned those dances. And that was just as a way to to uh, bring everybody into the creative process. So we had like everything from uh, Swedish folk dance to Bangra to uh, Janet Jackson uh, Rhythm Nation uh, to uh, like Italian cheesy disco 80s stuff. <laughs> so it was a uh, mix of things. And I guess the background to, uh, to why we did that was not only to have a fun collaborative process, but was also to uh, think a bit about what it means to, uh, of course, uh, to, to, to perform electronic music on stage. Like, um, it has been done in all kinds of ways, and okay, how are we going to do it? And uh, we're not good at playing instruments. Uh, I mean, Karen is good at playing the guitar, but everything else we kind of fake or like we play it and then make it sound okay in the computer so and and like and uh, we love dancing and uh, i guess electronic music performance is really about okay we we um, we think that a physical representation of the music should be there in some way and then we thought it was fun to dance, and uh, but uh, and then we learned that half of our audience loved seeing the dance, and half of our audience hated it, and they wanted to have a, somebody playing instruments, um, which I now, in retrospect, can like think like, okay, why did we have to be so rebellious? Because <laughs> it's like it's also nice to be a bit just relaxed and cool about things and so I, I don't know where I'm at about these things but I still like dancing but um, yeah and then also of course we, we have because we, I mean we are socialists and we are anti-hierarchical and then we of course like okay how do you represent that on stage so then it was important that all of us has equal uh, Showtime, so to say, on stage, like uh, everybody danced, everybody sang, and everybody played instruments, and yeah, and that is fun and make, made, made sense. But now, in retrospect, I can think, okay, it is actually kind of amazing to watch an amazing musician play their music um, uh, instrument really well. Like, I, I, I still, it's amazing with like what do you say, like. Yeah, basically skilled musicians. Like now, when I work with this Tunisian band, I mean they they are amazing at their um, uh, and and it's I it's like it, it was an attempt to do something, you know. But yeah, what, I don't know. And and then of course we we thought we were generous and and like really fun and gave everything you know like we we learned all these dances and we had rehearsed for like one and a half year and um, some people loved that but some people didn't want that so they were unhappy but like i think we the thing is we started off really kind of a bit too mystical and and crypt cryptical like we we were it was a bit dark, the show was a bit dark and 
and uh, it, we didn't play anything, I think. Uh, but then we changed the show and it got much better and then we played actually a lot of instruments in the beginning of the show and then danced, so it, it got better. Yeah. I know, um, or I remember hearing that um, when you were making music for that album, you and Karen didn't necessarily know that you were making music for an album, you were just kind of making music together. Mm. And then eventually decided to make it the next album from the knife. Mm. Do you still make music with Karen? Is that a relationship you still have? Uh, no, uh, we, we uh, we're not making music, um, but uh, and we don't have any plans. But yeah, we 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 hang out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's your relationship like with club music? Um, since you know yeah. you're DJing now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I try to go out uh, as uh, as um, as soon as I can, or like as um, when there is something happening, I'm there. Like, but it's not happening so often in Stockholm. Like, I moved to Stockholm recently uh, from Berlin. I've been, I've been living in Berlin for 11 years, uh, so it's a bit of a new life um, living there. But um, yeah, there is so much great things happening in club music. So yeah, I think it's really exciting. And I feel it's, it's, it's much more open to mix things. I feel, I feel like much more DJs are mixing much more uh, genres. And yeah, I think it's really cool. There is a lot of fun, fun things. And it seems like you're pretty content with your current, your current situation, just uh, the occasional DJ gig and then doing um, your work as a youth recreation leader. Um, do you see yourself just sort of carrying on like that indefinitely? Yeah, at the moment it's it's good. Like um, I'm also oh yeah, I forgot. I'm also making music for a film, and that's also something. Uh, yeah, I, I try to actually find uh, more and more work to do at home, just to kind of prepare for climate crisis. <laughs> like uh, because it, it. I mean, every time I fly, like it 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 doesn't make sense. I mean, we need to. We need to find a Skype club, basically, like a DJ over Skype. Uh, we need to, like, I mean, seriously, we need to do that now, like, um, and create ways to to make that fun and and uh, cool. I mean, it doesn't sound cool. We gotta make it cool. And uh, yeah, I'd like to open up to questions from the audience. Does anybody have anything they wanted to ask Olaf? Hey. Do you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you when you are talking about critics, when you heard critics regarding your performance on stage. Um, I've seen your last show in Berlin, which was really amazing. How did you react when people, well, you say Alf liked it and Alf didn't like it. Did you care about these negative critics or did you just were, you were just like, this is what we do um, and that's it? You know, and just oh, yeah. were you affected by these critics as well? Yeah, I, we were. I mean, uh, when when people read the show as, for example, not generous, and when I say generous, I mean to um, give something of yourself and be cheeky and fun and like uh, not be cryptical and mystical, basically. <laughs> and, Can't you be both? Maybe cheeky, fun, and cryptical and mystical. But no, I think those were in the in one uh, section, and the generous was on the other side. <laughs> so when people saw the show as as basically not generous, or, or so we we said, okay, we haven't really achieved what we wanted. So then we did change the show. So we did uh, uh, for sure change. We actually changed the show. Uh, a bit all the time, but a big change. Uh, the f there was basically a first part and the second part, uh, and the second part was adapted after the feedback. So for sure, we, we did take into account. But then the second round, when it was much more bright, we got new fancy, fun color lights and everything. Then there was still people thinking that this is not what they want. And then they still, uh, but most people were happy then. There was very few people. But the people who did say they didn't like it, they kind of wanted me to play the piano, or kind of to play the piano and me play the drums. 
and uh, it was just unachievable goals. We yeah. can't do that. You can't please everyone <laughs> no. as well. But so I think that yeah. Something that I really noticed was like the the evolution of like darkness to bright, like the colors was yeah. something. Uh, like the last show in Berlin was like really really colorful. Yeah. Even like all the outfits, the the lights, which like changed from the original aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Did you want me to comment on that? No. No, just like I, I was wondering if that was yeah part of like uh, receiving feedbacks, like if mm. this evolution was uh, because of hearing this feedback. That yeah, I think that that was uh, a mix of our our wishes to just kind of be more clear about our goal. But I I would also say it was just the creative idea by the light technician. She got free reign to to uh, do what she wanted, and she had this idea. Uh, we actually hired a new light tech for that, and 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 she was uh, coming with all these ideas. So it was also a, a product of of her amazing ideas, really. Also, yeah. Hi. Um. Thanks a lot for all your yeah, just everything you've said. It's really a lot of things to chew on. Um. I'm wondering how do you find your new collaborations? Um. It seems like they're all really diverse and. Um, yeah, if you're not on the road as much as maybe you used to be, I'm just curious, um, do you seek these people out in certain locations or is it just people that you're introduced to? Yeah. They actually, or they, they come to me. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, the, yeah. Or uh, the first uh, Hawaii, who I work with, she, um, uh, I was uh, working as a kind of um, a technician on this uh, project that uh, an NGO from an, a German NGO did in North Africa, where they gathered uh, female musicians that were in different ways politicized after the revolution, and uh, so there uh, I just met two artists and. Um, they, uh, yeah, we just worked since then. But um, I've been thinking if I, yeah, I, to, if I should start seeking out more people, but I, I guess they'll come, yeah. Oh, I had a question. Um, thank you for sharing your very personal journeys. Um, my friend and I, she's too shy to ask the question, but she wanted to know, regarding your journey with guilt and shame, how did your education, your, your activism, and your processes of understanding and working through that guilt and shame impact your music, your producing, and also now your work with youth? Um, do you see some sort of commonality? Like, how does that, how are you processing it? I, I know this is personal and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> But it, if you feel comfortable answering it, I'd yeah, like yeah, to know yeah. more. I'm just thinking what is interesting to say. <laughs> but Everything? Uh, I try to apply like a constructive approach uh, with the acknowledgement of the privileges in, in, um, as, a, as a background uh, every day. Uh, that sounds really <laughs> vague, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I have, uh, I mean, in, in every project, in every situation, I, I think about my, my, my position my, uh, based on my privileges and uh, what, what can I do in this situation? What uh, should I, should I do anything? Should I step back? Should I give, uh, should I uh, share this um, responsibility with somebody who might have the, ex the experience that uh, is needed to, 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 to reach the goal that, I, that we want or something like it. So it, it's, it's with me all the time. I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but... No, but I, I, uh, I have been asking myself, like, why am I not excited to make my own music, for example? Like, um, and I'm like, okay, is it because I don't think that we need more white men on festivals, or is it because I'm enjoying collaborating with artists more? I don't know. I guess it's a mix of things. <coughs> so you touched on, there's this idea of... Um sort of the club space as, it's almost a romanticized notion of it as um, 
democratic and horizontal where everyone's there together and you can explore ideas of gender fluidity um, and also... But do you think that's still the case with the increasing sort of commercialization and also the sort of dating of this idea? Um, and I guess, you know, music festivals and media such as RA also have um, a certain responsibility in, in creating that. But how do you feel it as, uh, in terms of the space itself, uh, as opposed to the music? Because I agree with you that I think the music is um, incredibly diverse and incredibly positive, and there's a lot of things happening, but I'm not so sure about the spaces for, for, uh, in, as, in themselves. So I was interested in hearing your point of view on that. Are, are you are you thinking mostly the uh, the power uh, norms on stage or on on the dance floor? On the dance floor, okay. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's uh, difficult to to talk so maybe general, but but I, I would almost have to go to like a, a specific club maybe. But I mean I I I I don't know what to say. I'm thinking that these power norms are are everywhere that we have in society. They are they are everywhere. Do you want to be a bit more specific, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's about your personal experience. When you go mm -hmm. out clubbing, do you yeah. still feel that the clubbing space is is what you would hope it would uh, be? Oh, you mean like, no, no, not at all. Okay, No, cool. no. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, uh, it's expensive. It's, uh, I mean, in Stockholm, it's, if I go to a techno space, it would usually be uh, white middle class or upper class going there. Uh, it's not the gay haven uh, or, or like um, the, in Stockholm it's common that you have one big club with maybe three floors and and then there would be like a small room, small room every other, once a month where there is a little queer club and they have to, uh, and, and they, the people who arrange that have to then you know like meet the whole uh, all the dudes coming there and like elbowing everybody and uh, like basically it's it's violent to be there like uh, so and people in Stockholm don't know how you move in a bigger in in a bigger like in Bergheim when you go there I feel like people know at least how to move in a bigger crowd like you don't get for elbow, do you say elbowed? Is that a word? So in, in Stockholm, I feel if I, when I go to this biggest club in Stockholm, basically, uh, I get elbowed every 15 minutes. Uh, and it's like, then I'm a, a, a guy who I, uh, and medium tall or whatever, and then I'm thinking about everybody else. Like, But yeah, so okay, I, I was thinking about this elbowing thing. But... Um, but yeah. So yeah. So we have the money thing. Is of course it's yeah. it's a gatekeeper. Uh, and then now I talk about Stockholm because that's where I live. And then you have the extra. I mean, it's so segregated. Like, but still, I believe in the club. Like, I still right. totally believe in the club because my that's how why I love the club because I have the experience of meeting people from many different backgrounds I think that's I mean that's the whole background of the club like the mm -hmm. and that's the background of house music and that's why I love it so much like it's still possible and and uh, so I still have the naive belief up <laughs> in it and you can still create these clubs like I know uh, one of events where uh, some people I know, like in, in Stockholm, who created more like, and uh, where where they think about the representation amongst the DJs, it's mixed representation, and they gather different crowds, and uh, so it's totally possible. But it's like you just got to be a bit, uh, yeah, you just got to think think about what you do, and yeah, so it's totally possible. But the norm, of course, is is not so good. Cool, thank you very much. Mm. Okay. Um, thanks very much, Olaf. Thanks everybody for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.